Hey everyone, um, so I just want to dive right in. Uh, this week and the format of this episode is going to look a little different than what you may be used to. I have decided to take a break from the intro song, the scheduled content, and the topic of secrets and embarrassing stories to discuss something much larger. It's no secret that there is a great deal of injustice and racism in America. Um, I have a lot to say about this, and I have a lot of my own feelings that have surfaced over the past few days, but my voice is not the purpose of this episode, so I'm going to um, try hard to refrain and to keep this introduction uh, simple. What I do want to say is that we are all responsible in fighting for justice and specifically white people, we need to get off of our asses. Um, We have to continue to educate ourselves. Um, We need to learn to actively listen to others. We need to unteach the racism that we learned at an early age. We need to resist silence and complacency. We have to be better. Um, You don't have to be black to be outraged right now. And if you're not outraged, then you're not paying attention and you have to check your privilege. You have to pay attention. So um, aside from using this podcast and this episode as a platform, I am going to continue to donate to bail funds and organizations that fight for racial justice. I'm going to continue donating to organizations that aid those in need, as well as educate those around me and share whatever resources I have. There's simply no excuses. We can't wait for another hashtag, another innocent life to be violently stolen to be outraged and to use our voice. My vision for this podcast has always been to create a safe space for people to share their voice, and I'm really glad to be honoring that vision in this week's episode. I do want to clarify that the intent behind this episode is not for black people to educate white people, but rather to amplify black voices and experiences. It was an honor to sit with each guest from this week's episode, and I want to publicly thank them. I imagine that speaking about these experiences can be exhausting, emotional, and vulnerable, um, so I thank each each of you for trusting me and for giving me the opportunity to listen. And to those of you who are tuning in now, I hope that you equally appreciate and respect this opportunity. Um, so, Without further ado, I am going to lead into our first guest. Y'all want that anthem music? Come and get that stand-up music, that propaganda music, that raise your hand of music. I told y'all be about it. Y'all like I tweeted about it. Don't be so mean about it. I'm down to read about it. You flip that hashtag. You flip that Abby right. Your fist is in the air. Can't say I'm racist, right? A sorted dog or reporter. You kind of with them. Most don't notice the system till it turns. I'll, I'll run with it. Um, I am Brianna. Uh, whenever I introduce myself to the to the public with my name, it feels like an AA meeting. It's really weird. But I'm Brianna. Um, I'm how old am I? 27, if that matters. I am biracial. Um, my mother is white and my father is black. Um, I am from Michigan, 
uh, originally a suburb of Detroit, Clarkston, which is like 45 minutes north of Detroit. Um, I lived in Detroit for about 10 years. I currently live in Austin, Texas. So that's just like a little background about who I am as, as a human, human being, just like very, very broad overview. Um, I, so when you initially contacted me for this, I was like, yeah, 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 that's really, really awesome. I'd, I'd totally love to do that. And then I was thinking about it and you see a lot online, well, just in general, I just want to preface everything with saying just like overall it isn't black people's job to tell white people how to not be racist and I know that you know that um, and I know that that's not like the the goal of this conversation but a lot of times you see white folks reaching out to people of color especially like black and indigenous people and color people of color and saying well, well what can I do what can I do to help and as well meaning as that may be it's kind of exhausting um, for for us to be the all-knowing source of what people can do to just not be an asshole and like it's not our jobs to tell people how to not be an asshole especially when in today's day and age when you have like the world at your fingertips right you can you can google things you can well google really just a simple google search will probably um, answer all of those questions but I did, when thinking about that, I, I recognized that it's important to like have the dialogue. So I was hoping that this could kind of be used as an opportunity to, I don't know, maybe tell some people, some white people, what they can do to not be racist. And when I say not being racist, I mean being anti-racist, right? Because there's really no such thing as not being racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist and the concept of anti-racism is really just like it's it's the it's the practice of um identifying you know challenging and changing the values and structures and behaviors that like perpetuate systemic racism so to be anti-racist is to be actively not racist so you can't just simply say hey i'm not racist i have black friends like what do you doing to not be racist. So you need to, to be actively conscious about racism and actually take action to end racial inequity, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. In some ways that you could, there's actually a book about this. Um, it's by Ibram X. Kendi. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, it's really, really great. It's on Audible too, and he narrates it. I love books that are actually narrated by the author because then you yeah. can hear how it's intended to sound. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he dives really deep into the whole concept of anti-racism and actually explains to people how to be anti-racist. But I did take it upon myself to like, I don't know, think of a couple things that people can do. Um, and while on the subject, I actually just shared something about this on Facebook because I was like thinking about this conversation is um, one thing you can do is to decolonize your bookshelf. And so that means to like include just buy and read more books written by people of color. Um, and it doesn't all have to be about races, racism or anything like that. Like it doesn't have to be about race. It can just be a novel or just you know something fun like just buy more books by 
black people and indigenous people um, and really take the time to research some of the some of the uh, authors that are currently in your collection and say are these people anti-racist like are they actually actively doing anything to combat racism um, and a couple of really good books that you can read are um, ones called white fragility um, that's by Robin D'Angelo. You're nodding your head. You probably read yeah. that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, a, an African American and Latinx history of the United States, which is by Paul Ortiz. Um, I'm reading one right now that's called Hood Feminism, and that's by uh, Mickey Kendall. Yeah, I, actually, I'm not even reading it. I'm listening to the audiobook. It's narrated by her. Um, again, all for a book narrated by the person who wrote it. Um, anything by Tanahasi Coates. Uh, one good one is called Between the World and Me. And it's kind of like, and it's like an essay that he's like writing to his son almost, just like talking about racism. I know I said to like read books by black people that aren't about racism and all of these are about <laughs> racism. Um, but anyway, that's just where my head's at right now. Uh, yeah. One that's not about racism. Have you ever heard of Samantha Irby? Oh, I love her. We're never meeting in real life. I just finished yeah. that book. I just finished that book too. She's really awesome. Um, and she's funny and has a bunch of books that are just like essays and short stories that are really, really great. Um, obviously anything by like, you know, Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde, uh, and any of that. Um, and like I said before, it is important to have this dialogue. I get frustrated mm -hmm. sometimes on social media because like I said, I'm biracial. I have a white mother, I have white family, but I also have, you know, a black father and black family. And I get kind of frustrated sometimes when I see people like butting heads about racism in an unnecessary way. Like a lot of people of color are often dismissive of, of white folks just asking questions. And I totally 100% like understand where that frustration is coming from. And those people have every right to be frustrated and respond mm -hmm. in any way that they want to. But I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's my duty as a biracial person to like kind of be the mediator. I don't know, that's also probably because I'm a Libra. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it gets like, how how is progress supposed to be made when the dialogue can't be had and everybody is immediate response is no fuck you google it um sometimes people just need to know a place to start um and i do want to be clear again like i said anybody that's saying no fuck you google it you have every right to say that and sometimes i say that because i am exhausted yeah. um, but i'm not right now um yeah. yeah i don't know another thing that i was thinking about is I've noticed that a lot of times white people only want to help and talk about racism when it's an emergency. Like it shouldn't take another innocent black man being lynched in public and it being recorded. Yeah. For, for people to be, be outraged. Yeah. Like it's not a new thing. It's, it's been happening for centuries and it's also been documented for centuries. Um, and I think that you saw me talking about this on Facebook too, how it's really exhausting to see people just repeatedly sharing um, media where, where innocent humans are being murdered. And I, I wonder whether or not like that's the most, I don't know, progressive thing to do. Because I've spoken to a lot of a lot of black people about this and we're all like fucking traumatized and exhausted, right? Because like I've got I've got, you know, a black father, I've got black brothers, I've got black aunties, uncles, 
cousins, you name it. So like repeatedly seeing these images of innocent black humans being murdered. I'm black too. So it's just like, that could be me, you know? And it's just really fucking traumatizing. Um, so there are other things that you can do to spread awareness besides just like spreading fucking trauma porn, right? Like you can say the thing that happened, um, but, or if you're gonna share the video, I don't know, maybe post a trigger warning or something or bury it in the comments, but just like being um, non-consensually bombarded with all of this violent imagery all the time is just like really taking a toll on me and a lot of other people I know. Uh, another thing is like white people are so quickly to post like some kind of a political statement or yeah. an Instagram quote that an artist drew up. But uh -huh. like, are we checking in on the people that we like love and care about that are affected mm -hmm. by this? And like, also, what are you what are you doing aside from just sharing shit on social media, right? Like I right. see a lot of people, people are quick to share something, but then the conversation ends there. Like what are you doing in your day-to-day -day life to again, like I said, be anti-racist? Um, like, I don't know. Do you know any, do you know any black children? Like, do you have any friends who have black children? Donate to their college fund. Mm -hmm. um, call your legislators and talk about affirmative action or, or any other like racist policies um, that, that need to be addressed. Uh, I don't know, just even like choosing a diverse group of friends is like a really simple, simple way just to like gain perspective of things. When I lived in Detroit, I realized I had a ton of white friends. Um, and I read a book, I don't remember what it was called, but uh, I'll come back to you about it. But it, but it was essentially about this um, black woman who grew up and she didn't really have any black friends. So then she became an adult and didn't really know how to be a black woman. And that like really resonated with me. So when I moved to Austin, I made it a, I made it a point. I was like, I don't need any more white friends. <laughs> Yeah. So I haven't made a single white friend since I've been here, except for through work. But like, I don't know, diversify your friend group. My name is Maina, and I'm 28. Um, I live in South Florida, and um, I've been living, I, I'm originally from New York, but um, I moved when I was 20, moved back, I should say. And um, I don't know, I mean, I obviously have been very aware of all the things that are going on because 2020 has been the most insane. Uh, and yeah, I guess lately, like things have obviously um, gone a lot more intense. And I'm the kind of person who like needs a minute to like really process everything before I impulsively open my mouth. Um, and I think when you and I had this conversation, I had just posted something for the first time about everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, ever since then, I just, I've just been having like this whirlpool of just emotions and thoughts and everything. So, all right. So I posted this three days ago. I don't remember what date that was, but 
for the past few days, I've been emotionally and mentally processing how I actually feel about the anti-Black injustice that's been so vigorously active in our society. And I have just a melting pot of thoughts that need exposure. One, since Monday, I've had two or three nights where I thought about going for a walk in my predominantly safe neighborhood and chose against it because I was afraid of what could happen to me simply as an African-American woman. There should not be a reason why a simple walk in the neighborhood I pay to live in feels uncomfortable for me. And yet, there is. Two, I find it baffling that there are foreigners who look up to this country for freedom and acceptance, and yet natural-born citizens of this country are still fighting for that freedom and acceptance. Three, please do not walk on eggshells around people of color. Please stop acting like our outrage is unwarranted and or is a trait of us people. We are human beings who have experienced more oppression, unfair judgment, prejudice, disrespect, marginalization, dismissal, and racially driven violence than you could ever fully comprehend. We're pissed off because we have every reason to be. Four, the life you live is not the same life we live. We may have gone to the same school, bracketed into the same social class, known the same people and more, but I promise you, you have not experienced life with the same fears and lenses as we have. Five, unpopular opinion, you're right. Sometimes it's not about race for you. For us, yes it is. Because we constantly have to question, and yes, have to, is this because I'm Black? Because we live in a world where, yes, we, as in you and I, where there is a, a blood-curdling atmosphere of distrust founded on decades and decades of injustice actions goaded by pure, unadulterated hate for people of color. And has it stopped? I don't know. Do the names Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Christian Cooper, answer that question for you. Does a black man's neck being kneeled into the ground while he's begging for his human right to oxygen answer it better? This is the world we live in. Stop trying to ignore that because it shouldn't be about race and yet it is. Six, and please for the love of God, quit saying I don't see color. We are pleading that you do see our color because not seeing color is actually choosing to be ignorant of the war people of color continue to fight every single day. This whole outcry is so that you will see color and you will care enough to stand up for a group of marginalized human beings who are being stripped of our human right of belongingness, acceptance, and equality. Not seeing color doesn't make you an ally. It makes you a bystander. And that will never be the answer that we're looking for. So, um, like I said, I am someone who genuinely just needs to process things before I like speak out on them. Um, just because I want to be sure of how I feel and I don't want to say anything that I'll have to retract later, you know, which I don't mind having to do that, but I feel like it's more wise to do it as least as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was on Instagram and um, fully aware of everything that, that has happened um, in the past few years, really, but recently um, with George Floyd and everything like that. And I was on Instagram and my friend, Elizabeth, she had um, posted something on her story saying, essentially, if you're not saying anything, then that's offensive, like to not say anything. And that was something that really struck me just because I knew that I wasn't being quiet because I was intimidated or uneducated or anything, but just because I was trying to take my time in understanding fully how I felt. Mm -hmm. And... But when I, when I saw that on her story, it made me question, you know, 
do I know yet how I feel? And have I taken the time to really like ask myself that question? And, um, and I realized that I did. And so that's when I wrote that really long post. Um, and I couldn't really find a super cohesive way of saying it. So I just put every single thought that I've been having, um, into that post. And, um, and I just, I wanted to be someone who said something because all those things deserve to be said, you know? And I was, I was surprised, but I also wasn't surprised of how much it resonated with people um, when I posted it on Facebook first and then Instagram. Um, something, one of the first feelings that I had was that, oh, so it's not just me feeling this way. Oh, it's not just me just thinking all this stuff, you know, um, but that a lot of people were. But one of the things that really struck me was the comments that I was receiving on my Facebook, um, majority of them were like white acquaintances, acquaintances or friends that I have that were commenting and saying, I am so sorry, you know, or I see you or thank you for saying this, um, which that gave me hope. It really did because I think initially what I, what I was expecting was obviously other friends and family members who are of the black community to respond in agreement, but majority of it were um, people in my life who are white and who aren't black. And um, that gave me a lot of hope because that told me like, okay, so us saying all this and us being vocal about it and us doing everything that we can to be heard, it works. Cause some people actually listen, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, we're not just being senseless. We're not just being, you know, impulsive. We're not just acting out in our emotions. Like we're doing it because it's effective, which the other side of it too is that because we know it's effective, people who are choosing to be ignorant about it or choosing to ignore it, that's even worse, you know, because that's an active choice that you're making. That's an active choice of ignorance and when you have the opportunity to learn and to be educated, why not take it? You know what I mean? Like we're so quick and so we're so quick to learn about things that don't hold up a mirror to ourselves, but the things that would actually instigate actual change, like important change, we're terrified of that because mm -hmm. of how vulnerable it feels, you know? It's interesting. I had a friend the other day ask me how I was feeling through all of this. Actually, the same girl that I read the story from. And I told her that I, I like fully don't know how I feel, but at the same time, I'm fully embracing it because I know that I'm angry, but not in the way that makes me want to shake my fist or curse somebody out, but angry in the way of like, how have we not gotten this yet? You know, mm -hmm. like, how have we, how are we still here? And that, that that part is it's infuriating because we're so advanced in so many different areas we're so evolved in so many different areas and yet we're still stuck in the past in this one area and i just don't get it just a little bit of my own backstory um i i think I, i've only gone to a predominantly black school in like elementary school um, ever since seventh grade, I always went to a predominantly white school and I have to say 
it was easy to feel, um, it was, it was easy to feel set apart, you know? And at that time I was not who people know me to be today. Um, at the time I was very shy, very to myself, um, just had a lot of just very, very internal and, um, probably more of an introvert, although I did have my extroverted ways. Um, and I, even though I would feel that separation, I really didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to admit it. Um, there was the amount of times I've had people tell me, um, oh, you're not really black or, oh, you talk like a white person or, um, you're like a uh-oh Oreo. All right. Whenever those were out, like that was, or sorry, they would say that was an Oreo. That's what it was. Um, and that, and that was, you know, hearing those things, I would laugh it off, but inside it really hurt because I was being picked out just for the color of my skin, something that I couldn't possibly even choose or change. You know, it was, it was hard. It was really frustrating. And it also developed a lot of insecurities in me, you know, um, growing up, majority of my friends were all white. Granted, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I went to predominantly white school, but because of the expectations society kind of created um, within us and, and just of what what, cons- what is considered looking right and what's considered looking wrong, right? Um, I didn't feel, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time like in my life just kind of feeling like I wasn't fitting up or, or wasn't, you know, um, living up to what other people were expecting of me, you know, just because of that, just because I was black and didn't act like it, you Mm -hmm. know, or what it is or whatever. Um, and I remember telling that to my sister one time and she was so upset and she was like, so they're upset because you sound educated because you take actual intent in how you speak and live your life. Like, and that was something that really struck me because I think that was the first time I realized something was wrong. Yeah. Like that my sister would have that reaction. That's when I started to feel like, oh, so like me not feeling good about this is actually valid, you know? And I think that's the first time I became like really aware of actual real r- racism, you know? And that was when I was in like middle school, you know, middle school or like beginning of high school. Yeah. Um, were there ever any like conversations around that age with like your parents um that like shed a light that this was something that you would experience or any conversations surrounding like the criminal justice system and its mm-hmm. flaws? Um honestly no. So it was I mean it was just my mom, she was a single mom and probably more so for my brother you know, him being a black male, I think that she had more concern or more fear over him, which I can understand that, you know, but Mm -hmm. for me and my sister, um, no, there wasn't really much of a conversation. You know, I think for my sister, she had other people in her life, um, who probably shared that notion, or maybe she was just very much aware, but our mom never, um, really sat us down and talked about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't blame her because I think for her, she, I mean, she, she's from Haiti, you know what I mean? So she, this, this America is, is an entirely, it's not where she considers home, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like home for her is still, um, is still in Haiti. And so 
I think for her, she was trying to figure out for herself, like, how do I fit in here? You know? And yeah, so absolutely. And that kind of, and it's interesting because I think about that and it's like that, that thought process of how do I fit in here? It, I mean, for people of color and also for other people, but specifically in this conversation, um, for people of color, that's a very common thought that they have for the rest of their life. And what sucks about it is you could be born here and still have that question. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could be born here and oddly enough, still try to figure out how do I fit into the place that I was born into? I mean, it should just be automatic. It should just be without thought by default, you know, but that's not our reality. And I kind of had to figure it out for myself that unfortunately I will never be equal to, um, to most white people. Like I will never be valued as that. Yeah. By some, but by not by all. You know, I read a quote the other day or something that somebody wrote and it said that if all black lives matter, or sorry, if all lives mattered, um, then black lives would matter too. It's true. Yeah, that's the dream. But the messed up part of all of it is that it's not everybody's dream. And at the end of the day, yes, this is a racial dispute. But this is so much more than that. This is human being against human being. The same organs you have in your body are the same organs that I have in my body. The same brain that you've got, I've got. Like, this is like this is humanity against humanity. For what? We're all riding the same, the same humanity boat, and yet we're just choosing to make it harder for one side than the other. And why? Nobody's born saying, "Okay, I want to be white." Like nobody's born that way. Mm-hmm. Nobody's born saying, "Okay, I want to be black." Yeah, absolutely. Just educate yourself and then, and then speak up. You're loud about everything else. You can be loud about something that matters like this. We're gonna close your browser. The luxury of the option of participation is great, right? Man, this is a great life. Man, we did something right. And I've struggled with hugging my daughters, knowing homies who can't no more. And enjoying the time I got while living in the tension of the world's imperfection. Eagle Wit, uh, stand-up comedian, NYC. Um, I don't know, done a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of accolades and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know a lot of people, done a lot of things. Yeah, when it comes to ex- times of experience racism in my life, it's literally every single day in this country, like, except for maybe a bunch of days since quarantine, because, you know, you're just in your house by yourself, you know? My girlfriend's black, like, you know, she's not racist, <laughs> you know, like, it is what yeah. it is. So we, <laughs> I don't experience it lately, but um every day in this country like literally when life's normal you experience it as a person you know what i'm saying a minority you go outside you experience racism and it's it's so subtle and hidden microaggressions and all that type of shit that most of the time if it's not a big like thing that affects you affects you you don't even care you just be like whatever nigga like i'm so used to this shit it's not a big deal. Like I have shit to do. Like I got to go get on stage. I got to write this thing. I got to talk to my manager. I got to do these things. I don't have time to get mad at every microaggression, but, mm-hmm. uh, police stuff. I, you know, that's less, but it's still there. I mean, I've definitely been shoved against the wall, handcuffed all cursed out by a cop. I've definitely been like, I've definitely been treated unfairly by police officers. I've definitely had cops harass me in ways they don't harass white people. Um, and I'm not a criminal by any means necessary. Like I'm, I'm far from criminal, uh, but I've definitely been treated like the worst type of criminal for sure. But 
I have friends with worse stories than me. And there's some really bad stories out there, man. These cops, thing is, this is, this is like, people don't realize how scary cops are to us. Like, it's really, really scary. Like, like I don't like when people say don't compare uh, oppressions in America or don't compare struggles. I don't believe in that. I think the only reason people don't want to compare struggles is because deep down they know their struggle can't compare. And I think no one wants to lose. So, like, I think struggles are comparable. And I think it's important that we understand who has it the worst. It's like, if we don't understand who has it the worst, then we can't call anyone privileged. Then no one's privileged. If everyone's equal playing field amount of struggle, no one's privileged. Like, I think it's, it's scary walking past the cop as a black male. Like, I don't know what it's like to be a woman walking home late at night. But I imagine that it's terrifying. I imagine that you're constantly scared that something bad could happen. And when I walk past a cop by myself, I'm scared. And it's just like a level of unpredictability. You just don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen. And then on top of anything can happen, not only can things happen, but there'll be no justice for it. Right. Most of the cops that kill niggas don't get convicted. And these are the cops that kill people on camera. Mm-hmm. And they don't get convicted. So it's tough. And I, and I hope that the rioting and the protesting doesn't stop when this cop gets convicted. Cause, or if he gets convicted. Because he might get convicted. And if he does get convicted and it stops right away, I don't think it'll change things. But I think if, regardless of whether he gets convicted or not, the protesting and rioting continues to go, I think it might actually cause change. Here's the thing. Is this like an ongoing thing? You know what I mean? Like, it's not... People... I feel like people kind of push the narrative to be like, of course, George Floyd is a tragedy, but it's, they push the narrative like, it's such a bad tragedy that we, that it, that we couldn't take it anymore. But it's, I think it's, in my opinion, I think it's more the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I think it's a perfect storm of fucked up shit going on. You know what I mean? I think the pandemic, people have been inside for so long. And I think you throw this little piece in. And I call it little, not because it's little, but because this has been happening forever. And it's nonstop. And it's nonstop. So many people getting killed by cops, black people getting killed by cops. I fully support the riots. And I know that's a, that's a questionable decision by most people. Most people don't necessarily agree with that, but I fully support them. And I know, I know black people that don't agree with that. I know white people that don't agree with that, but I actually support it. I fully support riots. I believe in it. I really do. I mean, like, First of all, violence begets violence. I hate the fact that we're expected to not be ignorant as fuck in response to ignorance. Are we the only ones that are held to that standard? Like, nah. Everyone should, nah. If you're, if you're done wrong, you should be able to do wrong back. Like, if you support war in this country, you support military, you should support the riots. Innocent lives were lost, so there's going to be casualties of a war. And the war is a war we didn't start. Like, we've been peacefully surrendering to this war for hundreds of years and now it's time to stop being peaceful about it so i'm happy the riots are happening to be completely honest and do i think that everyone who's rioting is rioting for the right reason no but do i think that every single person that joins the marines is joining the marines for the right reason no they're not there's some lunatics out there that just want to kill people and there's lunatics out there that just want to get a free tv and that's fine but it's going to bring the correct attention in my opinion I think, I think social media is amazing when it comes to this stuff. I, I do sometimes, when I think of social media, like New York's a very liberal place. 
I think social media has a tend to be localized, if that makes sense, because you have your friends on social media and your friends tend to live near you. And it's, it's very hard to tell if the whole country is joining in on this in the way that whites in New York are or whites in LA are, you know, because it's just more liberal places. And then you go on Twitter, you know, my Twitter is like black Twitter. So of course everybody on Twitter is like pro black and super militant, but that's my Twitter feed. I don't know if that's how everybody's Twitter feed looks. I don't care about our culture being followed though, because our culture is naturally so followed. Like I think our culture is the leader in America. Mm -hmm. Like music's black, TV's black, comedians is black, like everybody black, actors black, like black, black, black. Like it's black all over. Like athletes, the, the usually like the top of each field is black. And I think people appreciate that. People appreciate black art and black culture. But that doesn't save lives, I think. And it's funny because even having this conversation makes me think of another conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with a friend of mine. And it wasn't about race. It was about coronavirus, COVID. And he was telling me he was like, in order for the country to change its policies when it comes to COVID and really fix it and really, you know, get people take it serious, uh, a great person would have to die of COVID. And he mm -hmm. compared it to other times in history where when something happens to a great person, people go, oh, shit, like it can happen to us. And he was like, you know, rest in peace, Kobe. If Kobe would have died of COVID instead of a helicopter crash, people would mask the fuck up. People would be like, oh, shit, I got to stay inside. Because it's like, it's just you, you reference it to like, this is an icon. So mm -hmm. I think, as fucked up as this may sound, like, people don't, people, people are never going to take this shit to heart until it's, until they, until they realize this could be one of your favorite artists. Like, the same way you love, I don't know who you, like, Rihanna, whoever the fuck, they could get killed by a cop because they black. Like, it can happen. Chris Rock had this great thing where he said, I'm only Chris Rock from five feet away. Before you get to five feet, I'm just a black guy. So, like, before five feet, he's still dealing with racism. Once he gets within five feet, the cop's like, oh, shit, you're famous. You're an A-list celebrity. Uh-huh. But before that, he's still dealing with racism. So all your favorite artists, you know, authors, authors and all these great black people, can possibly get killed by a cop too. And I think that's something to keep in mind because some pe people love the culture more than they love the people. So I think it's just something to keep in mind. I don't know that if you love the culture, you also got to keep the people safe. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because some, some of those kids that died that get shot by cops could have became your favorite artist in the future. You don't know where those people's lives are heading. I mean, the whole system needs reform. Like, Cops are policing cops. Like, when they do something bad, it's up to the cops to decide what happens. Like, it's, it's all fucked up. Like, there's no... The ego is so big amongst cops. I'd say even more dangerous than the initial racism is the ego that backs it up. What was so jarring to me about George Floyd, because people say, like, oh, this is, like, the worst I've ever seen. In my personal opinion, I think Orlando Castile broke my heart the most. Um, like, I cried like a baby off that. I went on stage the next day and cursed that. I went on stage that night and cursed white people out in the crowd like a crazy person. I was, like, on one. Like, that shit drove me insane. This shit was also super tragic, but I think what was most tragic part about it to me was the calmness in the cop's face as he was killing him. That was sobering. That was, like, insane. That was a level of, like how you could take another human being's life while remaining that numb in the face. 
shows how much you don't respect us, how much you think you can get away with killing black people, how much you think black people aren't human, how much you think it doesn't matter. I don't think he would have killed a white person with that same calmness on his face. I think it would have took a lot more anger and pain and sadness for him to decide to take a white man's life. But I think when he took a black man's life, it was a very calm, like, whatever, fuck this dude type of attitude. And I think that was what was most painful about the video. I think it's above citizens. After the protests and the rioting, I think, and after the voting, it's above us. I think it, it becomes a governmental issue where you have to go beyond just the citizens. Where it's like, how do we, how, how do we actually do reform? We can't do shit as citizens. We're, we're a little bit powerless. Like, I believe, like, I'm a, I, I always go like Malcolm X over Martin. I'm more militant. Like, I think Malcolm X had it more right where it's like you have to, it's, he would always say, like, by the bullet or the ballot. And I believe in that. It's like, yeah, you could, you could either vote for change or you could fight for it. But the idea of just calmly like, hey, please stop. I think we're past that. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. i tell you what. I, I was writing a lot of my thoughts on social media first couple of days of all this mess. And then I stopped. And I started simplifying it and just sharing a couple things, you know, quoting people because I realized Right now, this is a platform, social media, but for me as an artist who is doing very well in my career, who probably has a really bright future in this, I will have a bigger platform through my jokes. And I've, I've turned all my thoughts on the situation to my joke book and just been writing out bits about the situation because I go, one day, people can see these bits, and I think that will have a bigger impact than me sharing status on Facebook. Yeah. So I, I've used my art as my output and I go one day I'll be back on stage and I could do this. And every night, you know, however many hundred people or a thousand people will see that nightly, these jokes and go back home and think about it. And then maybe one day I put out a special and however many people see that can think about it because that shit has impact in my opinion. I think people quote stand with me all the time when they have arguments about politics and race. So I'm going to keep all my shit for that. I think I think we all have, and I think maybe that's what we we all need to figure out what our place is and how we can distribute information best, you know, because everyone has their different thing they're they're really good at distributing information with, and you know that happens to be mine, and other people share that, and hopefully they're going to do it too, and then other people have other outlets and other tools you know, and people they can use as tools too. I think that's another thing is people need to recognize the people in their lives they can use as tools. If your cousin works in government or works in this or works in that, or you got a friend you went to high school with that works in some type of field that can help, hit those people up. Like, reach out to those people that actually can do more than you. Like, I believe there's nothing better than dialogue. Like, like my dad's white. I'm half white. My dad's white. And I mean, we have the best conversations on race because he says some real problematic shit on a daily. Like, and I think that's something people need to realize too, is there's a fine line between stupidity and racism. There's a fine line between like pure lighthearted ignorance that isn't harmful, like just lack of knowledge, like ignorance and racism. Cause mm-hmm. I think racism, racism is, is more deliberate and more hurtful. And I think a lack of knowledge can be corrected easier. And 
I've had conversations with my dad already that we've disagreed on this whole protesting, rioting thing. But by the end of the conversation, there was bending. And I think that's the most beautiful thing, like I said at the beginning of this combo about like the rioting, in my opinion, is without the rioting, these conversations aren't happening. And I think that's why I'm thankful for the rioting. You know, like we need these conversations because conversations is everything. Like without the conversations, this shit doesn't move. Like once again, the conversation is is so so immensely important, and it doesn't mean that everybody has to agree. But just talk, just talk, put out the opinions peacefully. It's a better understanding all across the board because because neither neither side like everybody always thinks whatever side they're on is a hundred percent right. That's not the case. No one's a hundred percent right about everything. So there's gonna be learning on both sides, but it has to happen. Like there'll be no progress without it. Will Black. I was born in Pontiac, Michigan. Um, I'm still in the metro Detroit area right now. I'm a father of five children and uh, I'm a musician, well, music producer, songwriter. I think I have a unique point of view. I feel like there are very few situations where I, as a Black man, have some sort of black privilege and um music may be one of those situations at times because you know we're automatically expected to entertain my music represents me all right i'm on my music represents me and i'm really all about love and bringing people together and you know i understand when i'm in certain circles that I'm the black dude, you know, I'm cool with that. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I also understand in some of those circles that they don't see me as the black dude until I remind them, you know? And I think that it's important that they remember that because I can't do all of the same shit that they do. I don't even think the way that they think and they can't grasp that that happens. And it's been really hard for me as of late, because I'm really realizing that people who I really feel aren't racist really do some racist-ass shit, right? Does that make them not racist? I've really been struggling with that. Um, you know, before all of this, it was, you know, the whole Trump thing. So I've tried to just be like, okay, well, you could support Trump and we could still be cool, you know, as long as you're not pushing that shit on me. I'm not overly political. I'm not going to go there really either. So, you know, but then you just start seeing some of the shit that people are saying. And then you see that common denominator. And I'm always the guy that's giving people the benefit of the doubt. My intentions really is about love and understanding. And I feel that I have a gift and a curse of being able to really feel people. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've recently announced that you'll be releasing a new song soon, and I'm curious as to how some of these emotions have been channeled um, into this song specifically. So can you tell me a little bit about the song? The song's called Tired. And basically, 
we just Lambo wrote the song and we recorded it back in like February. So it's not even a song that was inspired by, um, you know, inspired by what recently just happened. He's just writing what he felt at this time. And in the chorus, there's a young lady and she sings um, bloodshed on the streets. Can I live? Can I breathe? I'm tired. And he says, time to make a change, time to make a change. Okay. But they're also, he's also depicting visual shit, you know, that, that has happened, you know, born black, I'm a walking target. Um, and I know that my friends that are used to hearing safe will are going to hear this shit that even when he did it, I was kind of like, I don't know if I'm, I mean, I don't want to piss people off. You know, I didn't say it to him, but something just kept telling me, no, fuck it. Just go hurt Will, pissed off Will, Will that feels like it's time to like really make some damn change. Will that understands like, well, now everybody's paying attention because guess what? Everybody's tired. You've been on lockdown for three months. It's not a coincidence that this shit's all of a sudden in everybody's face. We're sitting here like, dude, you know how many times this shit's been going on? You know how long this has been happening? Come on. You know, this has been going on forever, forever. I've had white friends that I've told about this, and they didn't believe you. They think you're over-exaggerating. Then I've also been in the car with some white friends, and we get pulled over, and we get taken out of the car, and they're looking at everything. And they're like, what the fuck's going on? I'm like, dude, this is normal. This isn't, you know. Now, don't get me wrong. I've also had great encounters with police. I'm not going to sit here and say that. I also know how to carry myself. I also know if you're driving in the suburbs, you better take your hat off. I also know that if you're in the suburbs, you better not be more than two people. You got three or four people in the car, you already know. You're getting pulled over. We have to have real conversation and really instead of telling people you're wrong for feeling that way let's find out why my wife used this example she said you know i know if you stepped on my toe maybe you stepping on my toe wasn't your intent but it still hurt and you we should talk about it you know you should at least apologize apologize or you know or or saying well i didn't mean to do that you can't use your you can't use intent as an excuse for not for you know what i mean like just because you didn't intend to do it doesn't mean that it didn't happen this has been a very interesting time um and i'm just i'm just nervous that you know, in two weeks, you know, all of a sudden coronavirus is over and we're opening up the state here in Michigan and what's going to happen in a week? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen in a week? What's going to happen in two weeks? What are ways that you, um, if any, that you think people can like keep the momentum? Obviously, you know, it may not be ideal for people to protest every day. So what are some ways that you think that people can like keep the momentum and contribute to like that momentum staying alive? I think we have to have 
real conversations. Um, you know, do things in your community. And what I mean by doing things in your community, it's not even about go volunteer at the food bank or anything. It's about, hey, do you know your neighbor? You know, if there's an old lady across the street or a senior citizen, I don't want to call her an old lady, but a senior citizen across the street, maybe you can go more along. You know, little things like that. Rebuilding um, the community. Rebuilding the community and it spreads. I think what will change race is just the mixing of cultures, the way that's happening right now. You know, um, I'm a black man with three biracial kids. I'm married to an Asian woman who has uh, an eight-year-old an eight-year-old from a previous marriage and she's Chinese and white. Um, my family is very mixed and guess what? We see color. We talk about it. You know what I mean? Like we address it. We address it with an eight-year-old right now who has, you know, biracial brother and sister who has a black stepdad who shows up at school events with her white dad, her Chinese mom, and her black stepdad, and we're all together. She sees that. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know, and I'm loving it, what I'm seeing. I, I literally had a moment, I don't remember what city it was, but I saw thousands, it seemed like, of thousands of predominantly white people walking through a city yelling, Black Lives Matter a whole bunch of white people screaming, Black Lives Matter. I was actually in Rochester yesterday and it was this random white guy walking down the street with a sign that said, Black Lives Matter in Rochester, Michigan, just random as hell. Yeah, I I was in, I watched that and I teared up a little bit because I couldn't believe what I'm seeing. And then I'm also seeing footage of police just kind of letting certain things happen. And then I'm like, you sure this is at a riot? You sure this was not from a movie? You sure this is this? Come on, man. Mm-hmm. But there's also that part where I'm just always kind of like, I'm, maybe this is, I feel like sometimes we could take two, three steps forward and then we'll go back to. So mm-hmm. it's like, how far back are we going to go from this? Yeah. You know, that's the yeah. scary part for me. It's like, don't get excited. You've seen this before. And then I yeah. remember, everybody's off work. That's all it is. Ain't got shit to do. It's going to happen next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But hopefully, hopefully, you know, because I think even this hits 10% of people, right? It hits 10% of people who actually, like, get their head out of their ass. And who, like, right that. now... Right now, if you go on Amazon and you try to buy any book on anti-racism, you cannot. They are all sold out. And that, I guarantee you, has probably never happened, right? And so you have to think if 10% of the people who are actively participating in this, who are actively engaging, who are buying these books, who are educating themselves, if it sticks with 10% of them, then it's worth it. You know, it's not the, it's not the end game. It's not the end game. 
but it's 10% more. And then those 10% have kids who aren't raised to be racist. And then that's 10% more. And then it trickles, you know, it's a trickle, it's a domino effect. I get it. I get it because it is frustrating because so many of these people will drop like flies. So many of these people will delete that black square in two weeks because it doesn't match their aesthetic, right? But if you get 10% and that 10% turns into the next generation of 10% and then it just keeps trickling. I mean, we have to, like we, it is, I can't, I can't speak because I don't know. I can't imagine how difficult it is to see that two steps forward, one step back, you know? Um, But I think like something comes out of this, this, this isn't void. I think something has to come out of it. I really appreciate this conversation because you just changed my whole spirit on progress. Now I know why I was I was supposed to talk to you for that reason. Wow. I appreciate you for that. No one escapes heaven's justice unpaid. Have mercy now.